any other Little League stories before we pod? <laughs> uh, one time, I think I walked ten times in a row in minor league. Like, I swear I did, because I was, like, reading Moneyball and became obsessed with, like, walking in on-base percentage. And I knew I wasn't that good of a hitter, so I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. You got to play Moneyball. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it's like, I was just kind of, like, everyone, like, that's, like, the right, when, like, the kids start pitching themselves rather than, like, farm league is, like, when you're eight or seven and, like, the coach still pitches to you. So everyone, like, sucked at pitching, so it was very easy to do mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I walked a lot during that era too. Yeah. yeah. And then I just became a bad uh like my on base percentage went way down yeah. once kids be able started being able to hit the strike zone more often. No, yeah. I dropped down the lineup. I was a solid five spot. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I, I had one like insane batting practice mid season once, yeah. like as a fourteen year old, like mm-hmm. last season where I should have just been playing on the freshman team in high yeah. school, but wasn't, you know. And my coach moved me up from like batting ninth to clean up after Dang. just one practice he was like you completely fixed your swing it's perfect you put like, it all in yeah and i like i went over four and just like fucking ate shit <laughs> like i and i think that's when i gave up on like you know trying in sports and i was like yeah. i'll play i'll shoot some hoops with my friends at the park yeah but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sign up for a league anytime soon yeah i'm not going to practice these times you know this many times a week and fuck that shit yeah that definitely freshman football like after that i was just like i do not want to spend like five days a week after school just playing football with these people i don't like (laughs) and we suck (laughs) like Mm. i'm gonna injure myself that's why i also quit the marching band after my first day yeah (laughs) it's like i'm not gonna be around these people (laughs) (laughs) jt were you ever in sports as a child um i like i got those experiences out of the way very very early (laughs) like in elementary school i think i whiffed a lot at like like I, I almost said whiffed at tee ball, but I, I, I hit it off the tee at that point. But um, I don't know. I did tee ball, uh, wrestling, oh, hell yeah. uh, basketball lasted like until like middle school. But that was mostly just like 70 percent of the skill there was just being tall. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say you're a lanky fellow. You know, I could see you dominating in the low post. I mean, still like to this day, like. Every time I meet someone like who's like over seventy years old, they'll ask me <laughs> if I'm a high school basketball player. <laughs> That's what I was been saying. It's like that was just like they're like he's tall enough. We have to at least make him try like a couple years, see if there's something there. I was trying to find some way in there to transition this into the podcast. You know the generational differences between the old people and you, yeah. and uh, the the generational clash in Earth. By Alexander Dovshenko, the topic of today's uh, extended clip after hours podcast. JT, you brought this uh, 1930 Soviet silent film to the pod. Uh, what what was it about this film that made you want to program it? Are you trying to propagandize us with this here? No. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Um, and also, I don't know. I've just thought about this movie for a long time without really watching it. Um I like know Rosenbaum is a big fan and so like that was the driving force. I like tried to watch this movie like twice beforehand um and just was like oh, fuck this. I I'm not into it. Um but like I don't know, it just seemed different like we've been trying to get things that are different from uh the Brooks brothers and I was like is this our uh second silent film? 
I think so. Wait, have we talked about a silent film before? Now that I think uh, about it. No. Um, was no, it was Mabuse? No. That wasn't silent? No. no. Okay, okay, I guess this is our first silent film yeah. then. Yeah. Um, And also just like, cool. I mean, ever since I got back from camping, I've just been, I reconvened with nature. I've been thinking of Mother Gaia, the <laughs> earth. I just, I love her so much. And this is like, but, I, but I'm an e-boy. Uh, I love technology too. And I think that like one of the interesting things covered in this movie and like from the Rosenbaum piece I shared that he like sort of interrogates like throughout Dovshenko's work and like in, in general, something I wanted to talk about with this is like how it functions as propaganda and like propaganda films in general. Um, but we can dive into that a little bit later. Yeah, I think that is a very good idea for after we get through the text of this film in specific, uh, because I've seen quite a bit of U.S.-based propaganda. Uh, it's anytime you go to the multiplex. <laughs> it's when uh, you watch Get Shorty on DVD. Yeah. Uh, no, but I've, I've seen a fair amount of like classic Hollywood guys doing, you know, U.S. World War II propaganda, and of course, all your favorite tunes were doing it back then too. Uh, and I guess technically, uh, any you know Soviet film because of the uh, boards that it had to pass uh, to be released uh, was technically propaganda, if you want to be a guy like that about it. Uh, but, you know, on that level, then so are like U.S. major blockbusters. Yeah, let's destigmatize the word propaganda. Well, you know, people always see it as a bad thing. And it's like, look at the beautiful uh, pieces of Russian art it created. Yeah, I mean, in these divisive times, everyone is pushing something. <laughs> it's all propaganda, man. Uh, so this film is kind of like a, a generational class on collectivism uh, versus, you know, ownership within the farming industry, uh, representing kind of the worldwide dialectic at this time of, you know, uh, ownership and private uh, entities versus collectivism. And Within this, you know, uh, there an unjust uh, death leads to a disavowal of faith, and you know, atheism uh, brings a whole new dimension into. It. I feel like I haven't really seen many films of this era that you know have a character declaring atheism in such yeah. a grandiose fashion, uh, and I think you know that adds to the the propaganda element of it of the character quite clearly speaking to the audience in that moment uh, but also it's out of the emotions of the narrative and i think it is yeah a very complex film and how it weaves narrative and just like a propaganda narrative yeah i mean it's like it's interesting to see because like in these early like soviet works it's sort of like the formation of like a new type of folklore like with like american propaganda and like sort of the american myth of the self i feel like things of what like the western existed for longer than like the the film genre like in like literature and just like traveling shows but i feel like with what is happening with these like early soviet films is they're like establishing uh sort of like uh, trying to create a base work that combines like the past in terms of like that's one thing i really love about earth is how like pastoral it is and i mean to again compare it to like american stuff like i thought a lot about like uh john ford's english countryside movies during mm -hmm. this um but it's that combination 
of the old and sort of the myths of the land with like bringing like trying to create a new like sense of self for the USSR. No, yeah, and I think it's I mean the way it's like depicted through the narrative is very uh goes for the emotional. I mean, I like how it opens with that that old man dying and you can, you can have just this discussion of, you know, he would have gotten the golden ox or whatever, like some the labor award that they give people. Yeah. And um kind of like it, how it sincerely reflects on his life because this is a movie that is like saying like you know in with the new we got to do things new but it has like a respectful um you know dedication to like nature and like i don't know just the past too well yeah i think it's a film that despite its you know uh propagandistic tendencies it's also aware of how sensitive of an issue that generational divide with a complete political upheaval is, you know, mm -hmm. and how different people's ways of lives. It's, it's hard to, you know, see the new world as the true world, as it were. Uh, yeah. it, it is a hard thing, especially, you know, I, I guess any form of nostalgia is inherently reactionary or whatever, but you see wheat blowing in the wind and like the beautiful compositions of it, uh, you know, edited so perfectly from different angles. And uh, you just, you want to be one with the earth. And that's an idea as old as time, you know? <laughs> uh, and, but I think it's also using that to convince you of the new ideas. You mm -hmm. know, we all own uh, this land together, don't even really own it. We all use this land together. Uh, and I think it's like a very, kind of simple message that has a lot of uh difficult aspects to it i guess mm -hmm. uh and like a lot of sensitive issues that are i think uh approached very boldly yeah i mean i agree i like the narrative is pretty straightforward in the sense where it's like um it begins with uh the grandfather of this family dying and uh, his son, the fa like the patriarch of the family, um, is sort of in mourning. Uh, yeah, Vas his son Vasily is like sort of heralding collectivism and like that they have taken over the Kulaks uh, land and that like despite their resistance, they're finally the they've they've sent from the cities a fucking tractor mm -hmm. and they're ready to farm. And they're just like the the dad is skeptical of it. it's like well I don't know how all this stuff is gonna work out, <laughs> um, but then when his like son is murdered, it's sort of a call to arms for him to join in, and then sort of everyone rises together and they find uh, the like landowning class member of the Kulaks that killed him, and uh, it ends on a very triumphant note, but still like kind of mournful in that sense. Yeah, the ending uh, is essentially that, like, bringing someone to justice isn't even uh, the important part. The important part is that the spirit of the, the fallen comrade uh, soars with them like a big communist airplane, as they say. <laughs> uh, and it's great because they all look up, and I almost thought it was going to cut to the figurative airplane. Uh, but it just cuts to an empty sky, and it's uh, beautiful because there's a lot of, like, very kind of on-the-nose kind of literary devices almost of, like... Uh, uh, metaphor and stuff like that the play with nature and humanity uh, but I think it's so cleverly approached in terms of montage and composition that it never really strikes me as being like on the nose in a negative way no yeah I mean I, for like a movie that does have messages to get across there is like a lot of spaces in between where it's like I mean just think of the scene where the 
uh, Vasily is walking down the trail and then he starts dancing. That's a very like, Oh my God. Yeah. A, not like indulgence, but it's like, that doesn't even really have to do with like the messages they're getting across, but it's, it's still, uh, you know, kind of interconnects in a way. And I love also, you know, the, the rich, the rich, the guilty rich kid who killed Vasily, how we spend so much time like him running and running, to, you know, just to think you're about to get this come up and they're like, but it's bigger than that. You know, we're, we're above all this pettiness, you know, <laughs> You know, uh, I think the standout scene that like if we don't mention it, we're insane yeah. is uh, when the tractor, you know, this big tractor that they have so much invested in, uh, you know, figuratively, uh, like their future really invested in whether or not this new kind of technology is going to work for this new style of farming. And uh, the tractor is a little stall issue. And, you know, <laughs> fellas, we've all been there. Sometimes you just got to give it the old number one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that instead of uh, taking my car to the shop next time. Yeah. You know, if you ever <laughs> overheat and you don't have any, like, coolant in the car, yeah. you know, pee is fairly warm. Yeah. But relatively <laughs> still works. It sounds like you're talking from experience. That's, that's I, well, I'm saying that's. I think. I think that's what happened. I think the engine yeah. was overheating. It didn't specify what the uh, motor malfunction was, <laughs> but if I have any uh, insight <laughs> into, you know, under the extended clip under the hood. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't think they were uh, peeing on the windshield uh, wiper fluid. <laughs> yeah. <thing. laughs> um, well, that's that's another great scene too of how like. Um, once they get the tractor working, how it shows like this intensive look at the labor production going into making bread. Oh, the yeah. bread yeah. montage That's is great. The best part probably yeah. is that montage of just if you get off on images of machinery being expertly <laughs> cut in montage and the process of the the plant or not the plant the uh, the crop becoming bread, um, yeah, you will get off to that montage. It's definitely like the most beautiful thing in the film for me and kind of like the climax of uh the king vidor film our daily bread uh <laughs> is just like just you know farming and uh production in action <laughs> i mean it's even commies know it's all about getting that bread yeah <laughs> uh, um i don't know like in my review for sully on letterboxd i uh put that um, I hate work, but I love a job well done. And that's a feeling I got a lot during this um, movie. I mean, it's there's a lot of joy. And like obviously, like there's some really intense scenes of sadness where Vasily's wife is like mourning and just like is naked and like hitting things. And, and by the way, sorry, I have to point out, this is our uh, YouTube nudity corner. We're bringing it back from episode two when we discussed the hardcore pornography in Jean-Luc Godard's In the Darkness of Time. Uh, you can see boobs on YouTube in this film. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, but with that, like so much of it, like, there are these intense moments of sadness that happen that sort of usher in more joy, but there's like this revelry and like what I imagine is the excitement of the time of like having this triumphant revolution and then setting the table for what's to come. And that happens there. And it's like the, I don't know so much of the movie is just about being happy that like you're able to work and that a like the the promise of everyone's going to be able to feed themselves like we have these means now it's just it's beautiful to see and then just the i don't know showing that bread montage terrific and it just works in like it works with the larger sort of lyrical quality to the film with the setting of the uh like 
don't know, the shots we see of fruit throughout at the beginning and at the end, like when the grandfather is dying in the very beginning, we'll like cut back to nature at points. And there will be like this like conversation between like nature and like people around it. And it creates this like, I don't know, this beautiful mystical setting to me that really took me aback. Yeah, I didn't like maybe love it on the whole quite as much, but I did really enjoy this film. And I think that chunk between the bread and then the next scene, uh, or maybe not the very next scene, but shortly thereafter, is the extended dance number uh, <laughs> where, the you know, he's just dancing up and down the street and you get all these different settings, almost like it's a mini music video. <laughs> <laughs> There's one shot where he appears through smoke that was originally in the foreground and it's like Laura Dern running at the camera and Inland Empire and that one nightmare scene, you know, yeah. uh, very reminiscent of that. And I think that like 15 minute chunk of the film is as masterful as you get with like Soviet montage stuff. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, the montage is, of course, you know, very, very well done. And like, I, I do like kind of like how JT was saying how like these landscape shots kind of like are kind of like almost the reactions to a lot of these characters conversations. And, it you know, for a movie called Earth, you know, it does delve into like humans relationship with earth right because of course you have the beautiful nature shots the beautiful pears rustling in the trees but then you have that montage this is what the land actually gets us this is you know the the end goal is you know we got to make this bread too and uh don't even don't even get me started on how long they had to wait in line for that shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it'd be like uh watch now they made it you're gonna have to uh, wait in line a long time imagine just being i'm sure this has been done but like uh like a soviet like hacky club comic like uh (laughs) up at like an open mic in like soviet uh like 1980 just like uh long lines of the bread line lately huh yeah it's like <laughs> you think the bread lines were long you should have seen the ice cream line yeah, so i went to the uh i went to the u.s <laughs> and uh they got a different word for the bread line it's called the dmv <laughs> in the rosenbaum piece to talk more broadly about propaganda he was saying that uh dovshenko's father was thrown out of a collective farm as a consequence of this movie because it was received so poorly and that's one thing that like I mean the Rosenbaum piece was a great companion for me because it was like I I I don't know I haven't watched many of these early Soviet works but i it got me thinking about the reception at the time where it's just like I can imagine from like and Rosenbaum delves into this a little bit like as is this a propaganda film or no and it's like yeah it's clearly pushing an agenda but it has these beautiful lyrical moments and that long ass bread montage it's like if you are a like state bureaucrat <laughs> that is doing like arts funding to make like a movie that will like sway public opinion to your support this probably is not going to make people like rally around like the the Soviet Union, but like it's a very beautiful movie nonetheless. Like, yeah, it's like if you made if you hired Malik, you know, to do song to song for Trump twenty twenty. I don't know how much it would. I don't know how much that would do for anyone. Getting back to our roots, our American values. <laughs> Just to make a comparison to a little bit more familiar realm. I mean, it's pretty obvious to think about who would be making American propaganda for this regime mm-hmm. right now. But I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> obviously Peter Berg. Yeah, Peter Berg. He's, I think he's getting worse at it, though. That's like, he's like, his movies kind of like don't make sense, like in any, like he wanted to make Mark Wahlberg a superhero, basically. Yeah. The, the, you know, the patriotism is gone. It's all ego. Damn. <laughs> 
I mean, this is, I, I feel like it's yeah. kind of somewhat topical. I mean, it won't yeah. be when the episode airs, but I think today, like Trump was speaking about like wanting to have some sort of patriotic history initiative within the United mm. States. Mm. That dude, if he gets reelected and fucking just rolls out the propaganda crew, <laughs> <laughs> it would be the, you know, his propagandists would literally be like the people he retweets on Twitter, like the meme creators he has. Yeah, that's true, actually, because those guys like are doing literally like next level art compared yeah. to like <laughs> the guy like the Trump train animation video is yeah. like compare that to any Peter Berg video. I think we know which is better, you know, <laughs> it's or Peter Berg movie rather some state funded TikTokers. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably already happening <laughs> keep a vigilant eye but yeah i think this film is just so full of like lyrical and beautiful moments just you know cutting from a close-up of a person's face to one of these gorgeous shots of you know the uh the horizon line being like almost at the bottom of the screen you just see the uh the wheat taking up you know the bottom like eighth of the screen and then just a huge sky over it and I don't know. It gets me every time. <laughs> like yeah. all of the huge wide nature shots just absolutely floor me for the whole. And by the way, this is one of the selling points, 70 or so minutes, depending on which cut you watch. YouTube had one that was like 67 minutes. Hmm. My file was like 77, I think like an hour 17 or so. Yeah, mine was about the same. I yeah. feel like the one that's shorter on YouTube might just be sped up a little because a lot of silent films are sped up over time. So you never yeah. know. I watched it on Canopy, so I know it's a good library file. <laughs> oh, so you were really watching propaganda mode. You were, you know. <laughs> this is literally the U.S. feeds us Russian propaganda. <laughs> Think about it. I also like that it ends on the shot of a couple because, like, you know, there's so many big ideas out stake here mm -hmm. and like uh, personal investment into these big ideas but at the end of the day folks don't we love love <laughs> <laughs> was that the all the world loves lovers right yeah. that's a um you know just kind of a, a tangent i guess but i think i like the solution that this movie offers because it's like the obvious thing like i don't want my son to join a communist revolution like he's going to get killed someone's going to shoot him mm -hmm. and like that does happen he is like proven right but instead of you know going the other way being like, oh, I can't get involved with this stuff. He literally, you know, champions the cause. That's yeah. what his son wants to do. I think that is like, I don't know. That's a pretty simple, easy solution, but it's very convincing. And yeah. Like I mean, I don't know, man. I like I like to think there's a place on the left for Christians, but <laughs> because that's the thing. He directly he loses his son, and the next yeah. logical step is to renounce Russian Orthodoxy. You know, yeah. I mean, you mentioning atheism, I think it's like I mean, from my perspective, it's definitely like valid. It's like what like not a shot at anyone who may be religious. Like I can see like finding value in it or whatever, but. I mean, especially like to compare it to like the contemporary, it doesn't offer any solution. It's like, no, like, I don't know. It's like you can be in mourning and you can like remember your son's death and you can yeah. like pray about it. But like that's not changing anything. That's not like fixing the conditions that like led to it. I mean, that's shown greatly with the, the priest praying that the uh, for the rich farmer that the other farms go under or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a. Uh, the priest character is pretty funny in this. Just oh, like how I agree. He, he renounces religion. Then he, you just see him in another scene. He's just like, yeah, I got to work this job real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he's for the cause. He yeah. knows He knows what's good for him. True. <laughs> if he's going to renounce like religion, he can't just be like a bad communist. He's got to be like yeah. one of the best guys. <laughs> communist priest. 
<laughs> yeah, you got all these new priests on TV. What about a communist <laughs> yeah. one? Uh, do you guys have any uh, favorite propaganda films other than this? I mean, the obvious ones are also Soviet films like the Eisenstein stuff. I think Strike is like maybe the best silent film, one of the best silent films, uh, if not my very favorite one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one, also, I hate to just say, like, relevant or whatever, because that's always an annoying (laughs) way of saying, like, uh, a movie is good. But, like, watching uh, Strike during, uh, like, quarantine, you know, like, I think during June, and just watching scenes of, like, the officials just, like, hosing down protesters uh, definitely (laughs) struck a nerve. And then, of course, you know, the ending with, you know, the, the guys on horseback, like, riding through the fucking, like, uh, high-rise uh, apartments basically one of the most like terrifyingly beautiful uh action montages ever and it's a hundred years old and i don't think stuff has really caught up yet you know to yeah. uh, some of the scenes in that film I, and i hate that in film school they showed me five minutes of it yeah like they showed the the odessa steps from battleship potemkin and they showed uh, when they start slaughtering animals on care, you know, when it cuts to the animals getting slaughtered instead of the humans, you know, obvious metaphor. And it's like, that's all we ever were shown <laughs> like, for Eisenstein in school. That Yeah. That's definitely just the film teachers. Like, let's get this out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> so frustrating. I, I guess I, I don't think I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, early Russian films. I've seen Potemkin, of course. And so I guess I'm trying to, you know, drum up a film, I guess, that'd be considered propaganda. Is like Battle of Algiers, is it, would you consider that a propaganda See, film? that's the thing. It's yeah. like if you're using propaganda as a neutral term, yeah. just as a film made, like, for the purpose of a political cause, like, yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah. it's a great film. I, you know, like, exactly. I, we're on, yeah. it's on the right side of the, of the propaganda agenda, yeah. like, spectrum, you know? <laughs> you know, I think, I think Armand White is an interesting perspective when it comes to propaganda right because he's a fan of a lot of heavy left-wing films but like he'll write these ways basically where it's like it's about it, freedom it's about freedom <laughs> <laughs> so it's I, I i don't know that he has a, a any like uh big leftist film on letterbox it seems like he, he's like he's seen it and he loves it but he's like it's about being conservative yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what they're in his like there's a little thing on the letterboxed yeah. armin white uh for earth but it's just like him more broadly speaking about uh dovshenko and it's like he he does that exact bit, yeah. but then also like is sort of shitting on like because he's speaking about like it uh, in reference to a particular retrospective, mm-hmm. but then he's like using it as a chance to shit on like filmmakers using digital. He's like, <laughs> oh man, like no one like we like stifled like these silent greats who are doing so much with like film grammar that like I mean I do think there's like a truth to that that they're mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff of that course. like was disregarded but then he uses it to like um shit on a romare film that was like experimenting <laughs> with digital yeah just like when we talked about three times like last week uh shitting on that he just used it as an excuse to pump up joe versus the volcano you know <laughs> he always just has a second film like ready it's the opposite True, of what yeah. he wants to say he like just just so i'm not always positive let me shit on this or just so I'm not always a, a grump, let me praise Joe versus the volcano in this Ho Shao Shen review. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always some good and bad. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> um, I think like all the, the cartoons that were propaganda, n- not great. Like, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons have seen better days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Oh, you know what? I, I guess some modern day propaganda films. I did see Hillary's America Ooh, by that Dinesh is... D'Souza in theaters. Yeah. In a shoebox theater full of like eight for eight people. And it was <laughs> it was packed. And uh in Scotts Valley, California. And uh I took my friend who's like not involved with politics and we just kinda went ironically and it it, it delivers. D'Souza, kinda fun to laugh at. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I'd watch another one of his films. It was just I don't know. It was something to do at the time. Um, there was one uh, John Ford documentary because you know a lot of uh, filmmakers in the U.S. went overseas during World War II and shot like propaganda, and John Ford was one of them. And the Battle of Midway is like it's a really hard film to watch. It's like almost uh, it's obviously not as productive as like the fiction films, uh, and it's nowhere nearly as pleasurable <laughs> uh, to watch people die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, good frame is, though yeah exactly <laughs> it is kind of a strange dialectic of like this is john ford like shooting like on the ground technicolor footage of a war dang <laughs> like that's kind of what you want right True. Like, out of a world war ii uh like doc thing uh, but it's it's a strange thing it's uh yeah i don't know uh john houston also was uh, obviously there's the whole five came back book and documentary uh that i'm not going to get into but Ooh, one that just came to mind uh, is Soy Cuba, um, which is great. And it's like, I mean, again, like Russian like propaganda, but it's sending like a Russian filmmaker into Cuba where he, I think it's like three different stories of just like American imperialism, like fucking up life in Cuba with some of the most beautiful camera work I've ever seen, like just gliding from scene to scene. There's one like, um, I think it's like an extremely decadent American pool party or something <laughs> where the camera is just perusing through that and it looks beautiful. That like... An all-time favorite that I need to revisit very soon. I guess is Coney 2012 propaganda. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. That is, you know, let's talk about the bad side of propaganda. <laughs> Coney 2012, that that was insane to be like a very young person while that was popular. Did, did it get you? It got me, for sure. Oh, that yeah, rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't do any, I, it I got think me. I was just late. I watched yeah. the whole thing, and I definitely, it kind of got me, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, but I was still pretty detached from it. And then the first thing I saw upon closing full screen uh, on my very small laptop was, fake <laughs> <laughs> no i i mean I, I i got me in the sense i watched the whole video and probably cared about it for like 20 minutes yeah um it was I, like a 30 minute film yeah it's long it was long i but i remember just like i don't know hanging out at friend's house like years <laughs> afterwards and they're like they pulled out like their coney gear it's like remember this oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny it's a very funny phenomenon i guess what do you call it that kind of started uh I don't know. There's there's some theory you could put there that I'm I can't I can't drum up right now. <laughs> I feel like we would be like not doing propaganda a good service without mentioning Lenny Riefenstahl. Of Ooh. course, the boss bitch of cinema, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's favorite female director. Um, I mean, have you fellas seen Triumph of the Will? I actually haven't. No, I haven't. I have and... only seen clips in class, and yeah. I closed my eyes. Yeah, I was gonna say, no. <laughs> uh, are you about to compliment her? No, no, I'm, I mean, <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. I'm just it's kidding. like okay. it's pretty boring. Like I don't. I watched it at a point where I was just like, I don't know, I was a young man, not curious about anything <laughs> else. You just I had some firm, questions. You just I was had... firmly set in my <laughs> belief uh, of equality for everyone. But uh, just, I like, 
I think it was gifted to me actually from like it was like my mom had went to a yard sale and like bought some like movies some Nazi memorabilia and there's like literally the funny thing it's a Lenny Riefenstahl film box set in like a metal tin from like a dollar store or something Damn. and it's like it has just a big swastika <laughs> in place on the front <laughs> and it's like why would you keep this in your home just imagine like, even, even if you just that to the clerk to buy to buy it you know <laughs> it's, it's like if you're i mean i can understand being curious about it from a historical <laughs> perspective but it had like olympia in there too which isn't yeah. necessarily like as overtly yeah like, i mean the criterion collection put out olympia yeah true uh, I, you know, in terms of American directors making World War II propaganda, John Ford also has one called Sex Hygiene. Uh, that's about like servicemen not getting, uh, you know, sexually transmitted diseases from sleeping uh, or venereal diseases in particular. This is the 40s yeah. uh, from sleeping with women abroad. Uh, there's also a Don Siegel one from 1945 Ooh. called Hitler Lives. And <laughs> Back from the dead. Uh, you know, and the log line is this short film produced at the end of World War II warns that although Adolf Hitler is dead, his ideas live on. Damn. So I'm definitely going to watch that before we record again, and I'll have my thoughts on it ready next week. Uh, yeah. There's one with Frank Sinatra. I can't remember the name of it, but I watched it on Turner Classic Movies a long time ago. He, It's basically like an anti- anti-semitism psa like uh you know the nazis they really don't like jewish people so we should be nice to jewish people but the way that he unites them the neighborhood around caring about jewish people is you know the jewish people they helped us get back at the japs for bombing pearl harbor <laughs> <laughs> like it, he's just like let me tell you about a jewish fella i knew once yeah. and it just cuts to like propaganda film of the u.s bombing japan and it's like yeah. jesus dude like jewish guys in that plane over yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh that one i remember being like the harshest propaganda thing that i yeah. had seen in a while in terms of like u.s stuff from that era it's i don't know every short film i feel like made in hollywood in the 40s was pure propaganda mode like reefer yeah. madness is an obvious one which sucks not even funny i yeah. wish it was funny but it's just boring there's probably a, probably we, there's probably another reefer madness out there that's better. We gotta find it. Oh, there there's probably a ton of them. Yeah, there is a movie that I mean I guess also propaganda. It's um fuck I want to look it up because I don't want to fuck up the details, but it's called uh chit chat on the Nile. Chit chat on the Nile or adrift on the Nile. Oh, okay. It's a 1971 picture uh like set in Egypt. Um, that I watched in like a, a drug culture class and it's about sounds like a trippy class <laughs> um, these uh, like everyone just starts smoking pot together just they're doing hash nice. they're getting high in all varieties of ways and just sort of dropping out from society but it's like really cool like in how it depicts like their turn like it's very like moralizing where it's just like they ultimately like, it's this group of people, one guy in particular, um, they follow, but they just all turn to ge degeneracy, um, are all high driving a car, like pound around one time after going on a picnic and kill oh, someone dang. and then have to process that. But it's really good. That sounds like that sounds like a Larry Clark movie. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Sinatra, you know, he made a movie about anti-Semitism, but then he goes around years later, steals Woody Allen's girl. 
<laughs> and dumps a child on him. <laughs> you got to be a man of your word, old, old Frankie Blue Eyes. <laughs> the film is called The House I Live In from 1945. <laughs> and he, uh, the log line is, Frank Sinatra teaches a group of young boys a lesson in religious tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, don't don't we just love propaganda, folks? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we learned. Propaganda rules. It kind of does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least it has a meaning, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess let's wrap it up there. Then. Yeah. Fuck.